Welcome to the Swaplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are recording in my living room in 7th Ward, New Orleans. I forgot where I lived for a second there. <laughs> my mind has just been in Manhattan for so long. <laughs> like, right. Like, what part are we in, um, like... This, would this be like the Greenwich Village? Alphabet City. People like to say that a lot. Okay. I heard someone call that like Letter Town the other day. Really? Uh, and I wonder if that was just like a different generation referred to that area. Instead of Alphabet City called it Letter Town. Oh my God. So there's another layer. Right. To like get through to understand it. Okay. Maybe that was just among porn people in the 70s and 80s. Because I was listening to Rialto Report when I heard that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking about... Sex in the city today, even though my experience with New York is very limited. Mm-hmm. I've only been there once when I was like 17. Yeah. So it was with parental supervision. Ooh. Have you been to New York? So I've been to New York twice. Um, both times were like early December in the past like six years. I think I went. That's great. And a big theme of it, because I went with my mother and she's a huge Sex in the City fan. So we both were like on a track for like Sex in the City sort of like monumental places i guess that's the word i'm looking for i'm like, a little like landmarks today. landmarks boom like um carrie bradshaw's apartment with the brownstone the wow. brownstone like there are so many people that take pictures there that there's like chains so that people don't walk up the steps because there's really people who live in there but you know the of course the new york public library for because it's the new york public library but it's also this major Spoiler warning. Spoiler thing. We are going to talk about major we'll talk events about it. at the public <laughs> York library. Public library. But you know what I mean? It's like going to New York City with all that in mind, like as like a Sex in the City fan, it's like a totally like amazing experience. Yeah. I felt like one of the girls. And we've been globetrotting ourselves the past month or so. We have. I haven't spoken to you since like early October. Yeah. I think we both had some like pretty big trips, I think. Yeah. Like we left the South. <laughs> Holy crap. To much colder places. Much colder places. Where'd you go? Um, I went to the Mile High City. I went to Denver Ooh. for a couple of days. It was fun. It was mostly to visit some some folks. And um I did go on this like very fun touristy like steam train ride in Georgetown where like everyone's in character on the steam train. Um, and I felt very like Hogwarts Express like. That's it was, great. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. I remember in Durango, I saw like a really old steam train. It was like a highlight of that trip too. It's just cool being on a steam train. Um, but it goes through the wilderness, but they put like plastic deer Wait, so you have something to look out the window at? But yes. But like <laughs> half of them like are like tumbled over or they have like old Christmas lights on them. It's amazing. For some reason, I'm picturing that scene in um, Jurassic Park where like the, t- the T-Rex eats that goat that's like tied to like a stake. It's kind <laughs> like of like, like that, but they were fake the animals. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really, it was just a, a nice time. Um, Denver's a very interesting city. Lots of like fun, you know, conspiracy layers going on there. Remember the airport way. murals had like a conspiracy? Yeah, and they have like this giant, it's like called Blucifer. It's like a satanic blue horse what? statue. Like before, it's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. And you went to? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah. Which is not a very exciting place to talk about, even though I had a good time out there. I've always wanted to go. Really? It just seems like a, a chill, clean city with like fun quirky little things to get into it's very cold so like they have a lot of the stuff i like to do because i I like to stay inside and hide from the sun nice so like i could go to like 
old bookstores and movie theaters and museums and stuff like that. There was like plenty of that. And they That's had the best that stuff to do when you're on a trip. I guess the like weirdest fake deer on the side of the train type thing I did there was uh, a lot of stuff like that. The skywalk, like a lot of northern cities have those like bridges from building to building. Yeah. Um, the skywalk in Minneapolis, I think, is the most, it's like the longest contiguous one. Um, so you can walk like pretty much all of downtown without ever going outside. What? Okay, that's really cool. And like during the day on like a weekday, a lot of businesses are open for you to walk through. And it's like, it's kind of weird just being nowhere. Like it's like one long strip mall where like there's all these little like micro economy businesses selling people pizzas and stuff as they're like scurrying from one business building Holy to the next. Holy crap. But on the weekend... It had this like kind of liminal horror feel to it where it's basically these beige hallways with like no people in them except other confused tourists who are looking on their phones like, how do I get downtown to like 9th Street from where I'm at now um, without going outside because it's too cold for me? So you're just in these like nothing spaces at night with no one else around. Very skinnamaring type experience. I, I was wondering if people like had ever made a low budget horror movie in the Skywalk in Minneapolis because it's ripe is, for that. This is your sign. Yeah. And then you and I um, caught up with each other the day before this recording to go yes. see Claudio Simonetti's Goblin, which is one of the few variations of Goblin's current lineups. I'm, I'm thinking it's the best one though. It's pretty great. I, I had a blast. So. Claudio Simonetti is like the main composer guy from the band and plays yeah. the keyboard synth aspect of it. If I'm not mistaken, he like did all of it when he did like the movie soundtracks. But like as part of the band now, he's like they have like real instruments. Yeah. That can be played at the same time while he just sticks a keyboard. I was trying to like pick up on what he was trying to say. Thick Italian accent. Thick Italian accent. And it's like if there was an Italian grandpa and an Italian tour guide. Where he's like, I like a scary movies, okay, okay. Um, yeah. Are you like a, this this sound right here? And it's like, do 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 do, like the Halloween <laughs> sound. He's like, you like this, okay? I play this for you. <laughs> yeah, there was like the encore portion where he played <laughs> so great some soundtracks that he didn't even make himself. Like he played like <laughs> tubular bells from The Exorcist, and like you said, the Halloween score. It's like his remix, <laughs> which is hilarious because like. <laughs> The whole thing about that John Carpenter score that's so great is it's this very sparse piano twinkle, and it's very chilling how like empty everything sounds except for that piano. Yeah. Uh, and then the Goblin version of it is this like overcomplicated like prog rock synth stadium sound. And then there's this guy in the band that has like Nathan Explosion hair <laughs> and does like what is that called? Like it's like almost like your hair becomes a whip. It's that circular head banging. Circular head banging. Yeah. yeah. The Willow Smith. Yes. The Willow <laughs> Smith. Oh God. Such a bizarre but like really amazing experience. And Simonetti and was music. um you know, he's like probably in his 70s now, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And uh, he was wearing he like fabulous, a denim jacket and the world's longest wallet chain. <laughs> uh, he had the full rock and roll outfit It on. was so long that the chain like fell to his knee. <laughs> right? Like it was like half yeah. his leg was the, the wallet chain. It's beautiful. <laughs> and they played a live score of Demons uh, from 1985. A lot of these Goblin tours have been based around Suspiria because I guess that's their like biggest like soundtrack right. notoriety. But the Demons one was one he did himself after the band had broken up, and it was very cool to watch the movie again with like 
the score cranked, you know, like not only did they rearrange it with, you know, drums and guitar and stuff that wasn't just his synth sounds. It was also just like they would play the dialogue scenes, which are pretty sparse and kind of few and far between, you know, like a Uh, paragraph of dialogue. Right. (laughs) And then most of the movie was the same, like two or three theme cues, just like cranked really loud (laughs) and like, Yeah. Into like a headbanging anthem. So the venue we saw it at is like this open air place called the Broadside and it's in a neighborhood. And I think I had looked at Brandon and I'm like, what are the neighbors thinking? Like, are these people listening to the same song like over a hundred minutes (laughs) over and over and over again? (laughs) But it was, it was such like, I can't even explain it. Like, I don't think I'll ever, will ever experience something like that freaking cool. And that like very, like niche like yeah. in that way ever again it was pure pure magic pure spooky magic and yeah it, w- it would be cool to see demons in like maybe like a venue like the britannia because the whole thing yeah. of the movie is that it's like an old-timey movie theater where this group of strangers are given free tickets to a horror film and then they're watching this evil mask transform the movie within the movie people into demons, uh, these like undead like a, goblins. And I think it's supposed to be like Nostradamus's mask or something. <laughs> I was laughing at them going to Nostradamus's crypt and like <laughs> digging up his bones. But it was just a book and a mask. And then, you know, actual chaos breaks out in the fake movie theater that we're watching. So I could see like going to an old timey movie theater and getting that full like meta experience. That'd be very cool. The broadside is not that. It's like this like outdoor family barbecue kind of feel where you're in these like lawn chairs and <laughs> yeah. the weather was really beautiful. It was just like a warm communal environment. I will say what was so interesting is they had the lights off for the movie, but then whenever um, like Goblin played all the other like little tidbits after the movie, they put all the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> so it made it even more barbecue-y. Yeah. And there was barbecue in the back too. Like, so you had the barbecue smell. On top of it. A sensory experience. Yeah. I had a great time. Wow. Yeah, it was good. What else have you been watching since the last time we talked? Um, Oh, God. I think, like, Halloween passed since the last time that we talked. So I was, you know, watching all my spooky movies. And um, a big one that's, like, a newer horror movie that came out that I really liked is Totally Killer. Oh, that's, like, the on 80s Amazon. throwback one? Yeah. Um, I've watched it twice, actually. I found it to be, like, really fun scary and like it's a little cheesy but it's not like stupid like it's kind of like emotionally moving like it's this girl the gist of it is there's a girl who's in high school in modern times and her mom and dad are like kind of like overprotective because there was a serial killer when they were younger um that killed the mom's friends and the way the town treats it it's sort of like it reminds me of scream like how um everyone wears like the killer's mask and they go on tours and there's like true crime podcasts about it another little micro economy yeah (laughs) and the killer comes back or someone in the killer's mask and actually like kills her mom so um she has like this really stupid smart friend who um she gets with and basically they time travel back to the 80s to then stop the serial killer and kill them kill the killer so that she can save her mom so it's like kind of like really sweet but the funny of the movie like the humor the comedy of it is actually really funny 
Um, so I like laughed out loud multiple times. It was very interesting. A lot of like edge of your seat moments trying to like piece the clues together. It's almost like a funner version of Scream. Okay. Um, I really, really liked it. It reminded me of that movie Final Girls that came out a few years ago. Is that the one where the girl goes in the woods with the boys? Maybe. Fi- oh, I'm thinking of that's just Final Girl. The Final Girl. This one is like real cheap, uh, cheaply this made. girl's mother was in a 80s slasher and then she gets like, I guess, sucked into the movie somehow. Oh, like last action hero style. Like she oh like, my God. So she's trapped in like an 80s slasher movie with a character that her mother played and they have like a um, touching reunion. Okay, I did not see that. Okay. That sounds cool. It yeah. sounds like this movie a little bit. Right. I'm really into it. Um, what have you been watching, Brandon? Well, also, I went overboard during Halloween. I went to the theater a lot. Uh, there's a lot yeah, of repertory stuff to go see. Um, I do want to single out one thing I saw at the Britannia during their like classic movie slot on Sunday mornings. I went to see Bell Book and Candle from 1958. Is that with Kim Novak? Yes. Okay. It's kind of like the middle ground between I Married a Witch from the 30s. I love that movie. And Bewitched from the 60s, the Haven't sitcom. Seen that. You know that like sitcom? Oh, Bewitched. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, fabulous. So it's kind of like in the middle of those two things, like it's kind of like, oh, I could see how this would have lead to that lead to that, you know? It's like a middle piece. Okay. I've never I've never seen it. You would like it a lot. Okay. I love I married a witch and I adore Bewitch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is like the okay. the middle ground. Cool. Um, and you mentioned Kim Novak's in it. It's also got Jimmy Stewart. It's kind of like a B-side God. to Vertigo in that way. Like, Whoa. Because they have a, kind of a similar dynamic where he is infatuated with her and doesn't know why. And is like in a daze, like following her around and like basically ruining his life and throwing away the woman he quote unquote should be with to be with her instead. Amazing. Which is very vertigo, but we know why he's so bewitched with her. It's because she's an actual witch who put a love spell on him in the early section of the movie. And the movie's more about her than him. It's like the reason, I guess the reason I'm really bringing it up is it reminded me a lot of sex in the city. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> she's like trying to have Amazing. it all. And the whole movie is like kind of this rom-com about how she wants to be this powerful young witch. And she wants to have love but the introduction of love into her life would like weaken her powers and like make her not a strong powerful witch anymore and like it's about this like balance between her witchcraft and her love life which is very like carrie bradshaw she's living in new york and yeah it's just a really fun rom-com i guess the other thing i wanted to bring it up for is this like weird in-between state between halloween and christmas where like you want to watch a lot of seasonal content um, and I find it very hard to come off of the like absolute flood of horror stuff that I watch around Halloween. Like I find it really hard to just stop that momentum all of a sudden. And this movie is very witchy, and you know it's about all these like magic rituals, and uh, mm-hmm. you know she's got like a magical familiar cat in her apartment and stuff like That's that. Cool. But I actually found it to be very Christmassy. Okay. A lot of it is set on Christmas Eve. Um, like the big love spell that she does, I think is done around the, like this, like modernist Christmas tree in her apartment um, on wow. Christmas Eve and like mixing all the holidays together. It's not very Halloween at all, even though it's spooky, you know, like I consider those like your good holiday classics. Right. I love like those old timey movies, too, that kind of meld different holidays together, but like kind of keep that spooky theme. So this sounds amazing. 
I think you'd like it. Okay. Like there's a overlap with Christmas and Halloween where like they're the times of the year when like things are changing and there's like the veil between worlds is at its thinnest. Yeah. So like I think they get kind of mixed up a little bit. So you know? I don't know if you remember, but I like made everybody like watch a summer place and I passed it off as a Christmas movie uh-huh. just so I can make us watch it. And I was like, yeah, let's watch holiday theme movies, <laughs> you know, but in my mind, it's a Christmas movie because of a five minute scene right, that's right. super iconic. So even though this isn't like a only takes place in Halloween movie, doesn't mean it's not a Halloween movie. I want to say I brought up Meet Me in St. Louis that same episode. Oh my god! Because uh, uh, there's a great Christmas shows section, up in but there's also Texas a City. great Halloween section in that movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yes, You're right. We, we'll be talking about Meet Me in St. Louis later in this episode. Pivotal City. plot point in Sex in the City the movie. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're gonna talk about a TV show that lasted. I believe six years. Yeah, six seasons. From 1998 to 2004. And then it's two movie sequels. And now it has a new television show sequel <laughs> called It Just Like That. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm not fully caught up on. I'm around the middle of season one. So we'll touch on that a little bit. But mostly just in comparison to how the show has continued on after it came to a pretty satisfying conclusion. And they just keep dragging <sighs> it out. Because people want more. Yeah. I mean, you fall in love with characters and you want to like... You don't want it to end. Yeah, you yeah. want to keep spending time with I them. I want to see them until they're like 80. Oh, you will. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> until they are all dead. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Hello, lover. In New York, they say you're always looking for a job, a boyfriend, or an apartment. I've been dating since I was 15. I'm exhausted. Where is he? Who, the white knight? Sometimes it's hard to walk in a single woman's shoes. That's why we need really special ones to make the walk a little more fun. Have you ever been in love? Absolutely. Why do I think living in Manhattan is so fantastic? Because it is. There's always a new neighborhood, a new restaurant, a new man. Maybe you have to let go of who you were to become who you will be. Are we still gonna have to call it date night in our 50s? I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything once. It's all fun and games till someone has a child. If you find someone to love the you you love, well, that's just fabulous. Maybe we could be each other's soulmates. So around March to May of this year, so like within like a three-month span, I watched all six seasons of Sex and the City. I don't even fully know where this came from. A few years ago, we watched Susan Seidelman's movie Smithereens. Yeah. Um, and I realized that she had directed the pilot of this show, and she had directed like a few other episodes in early seasons. Her and Nicole Hall of Center. Yeah, she directed that episode, um, which is one of my favorites, I think, with the baby shower. Oh, they, great like, episode, yeah. That's one of the best ones, yeah. And all of a sudden, like a few years later, I was like, I'm going to give this show a chance. I don't know if it was just the marketing for and just like that, like was just like inescapable or something. They had good marketing for that. And the show was a big deal when I was a kid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. around 1998, 90, 1999. I was too young to watch it, but my parents watched it religiously and would like kick me out of the room. So I guess there was some fascination there where I was like, oh, this is something I'm not allowed to watch, you know, but I've had ample opportunity to catch up in the decades since. And I've just never done it until now. I think there's just something about being in your 30s that like makes the show click in a way. But uh, from what I gather, you've been watching it much longer than I have. Like, I, 
<laughs> I got into it in more recent years though. Like same thing. Like, um, my parents watched it. I remember like they never go to movies by themselves ever, but they would go to see these when they came out. The actual two movies. Yeah. Um, my like aunts are obsessed with it and growing up, I like watched some of it and I thought it was like funny. Like I remember being like, Oh yeah, the Samantha woman's hilarious. And it never clicked. Like I even remember going to icing, which is like the big sister store of Claire's when I was younger to get like those giant pencils. And there was like merchandise everywhere. That's like, I'm a Samantha. I'm a Carrie. This is for children. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. I wonder if that was a Carrie diaries era where they were like trying to like reboot the show for children. No, this must have been like probably between like 2000 to 2012 or 2000. Yeah. I was like young. I'm being like, okay, like this show must be really dope. And I tried watching it when I was in my early twenties and I was like, Oh, I don't really get it. It's kind of boring. I don't understand it. But like my late twenties, early thirties, like I like really vibed with all of them. Like at first, like, Oh, just a bunch of like hot, like rich white chicks in New York. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And it's awesome. (laughs) I love all four of the characters so much. Those are, those are my gals. They're great. Would die for them. Well, they're not great people, but they're very like, they're entertaining, recognizable, relatable people. Yes. Like there's, it's not, are you a Carrie? Are you a Charlotte? Are you a Miranda? Are you a Samantha? I think there's little pieces of each one. Mm. And on certain days, I'm like, I feel like a Carrie today. And some days I'm like, God, I'm such a Miranda right now. You know what I mean? Like I can like use them to like express my feelings and like other women and other folks my age, like get it where I'm like, I'm just having a Charlotte moment. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, I totally get what you're talking about. It's insane. I actually do think I have one character I relate to the most. Oh my God, tell me. It's the most cliche one, which is Carrie. Is it Carrie? I mean, main character syndrome, I guess, where like I'm narrating the world through my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Okay. The show is about a young writer in the city. It's about someone in their 30s working for a sex column on a small newspaper in New York um, based off of actual columns written for The Observer uh, by Candace Bushnell, I believe is her name. Yes. So. I think I might have told you this, but last time I went to New York, um, Candace Bushnell wrote a new book called Is There Still Sex in the City? And it's about like her and her like more elderly friends like living in Sag Harbor and like banging a bunch of old dudes. Hell yeah. And she did a one woman show to promote it. And me and my mom went to see it. And it was just her like walking around like a Carrie Bradshaw looking bedroom and talking about like all her real life experiences with like the real big and all this. So yeah. Anyway, I think that'll be like another movie at some point. What's crazy is those columns only ran for like two years. Yeah. So the show like really outlasted the original nugget of an idea, you know? Yeah. And I read the book uh, that collected the columns. I believe they're very heavily edited. So they're mostly Carrie stories. Yeah. Uh, But you know, it's a really good collection of, Essays about being single and dating in New York City in the 90s. And I found the book a little different from the show in that it's very like star fuckery and like aspirational big city living. So like she name drops a lot. Like I was at such and such a bar and this documentary filmmaker was there. And you wouldn't believe who I saw at this nightclub. You know, it's like that kind of like my life is fabulous because I live in the big city, which is a part of the show. Yeah. But the show so sexy about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but the show picks up on the grander project of the article, which is like 
this anthropology of big city life at the time, which is like, no one out here is actually trying to get married except for a few women. Right. Everyone else is a developing this new style of like free sex, free love. That's very businesslike and methodical. Who are these people? What are the rules of this new game? And everyone's like talking it out to figure it out. Right. It's almost like the game is creating the game. If that makes sense. Like it's very cool where it's like every other episode, like she's just like, is this it? Like, is this like a new thing that I'm into? Yeah. And early episodes of the show feature a lot of direct to the camera confessionals, which feel like quotes from the articles where it's like, if all men are dating models now, what does that mean? Um, And it's like about these like 40 something men dating these like 20 something models instead of the people they should be hooking up with. Right. Uh, And they each represent this kind of archetype that gives their their opinion on the subject one at a time. Mm -hmm. And I think the show kind of loses that as it goes along and like becomes more about these like core women, these four main characters, Mm -hmm. which I kind of I kind of missed the early confessional bits. I thought those were fun. Yeah, because it was. What I liked was, like, the men being sort of interviewed, too. Yeah. That was interesting. When are men going to get a chance to talk, you know? Right. (laughs) Got to give them a shot. One thing they never lost was Carrie um, narrating the show and giving each episode a theme uh, at her typewriter, where she says things like, and then I had a thought, or, and then I started to wander. And then she, like, muses about life. I did pull a few choice quotes from those because they're very funny to me. Awesome. And uh, one of the reasons I like relate to her is because she's such a hack writer and is just like <laughs> pounding out these like columns uh, just to get something on the page, you know? So sh- she'll say things like, so there you have it. We've got a relationship without sex and sex without a relationship, which had a better shot at survival. I couldn't help but wonder what comes first, the chicken or the sex? While women are certainly no strangers to faking it, we faked hair color, cup size, hell, we've even faked fur. I couldn't help but wonder, has fear of being alone suddenly raised the bar on faking? Are we faking more than orgasms? Are we faking entire relationships? Is it better to fake it than to be alone? God, she's our modern day philosopher. <laughs> like, amazing. So when it comes to finance and dating, I couldn't help but wonder, why do we keep investing? <laughs> We may have traded the little black book for a little black dress and replaced the Ferrari with a Fendi, but in the view of certain evidence, I have to wonder, are we the new bachelors? Referring, of course, to women. Uh, yeah, it's just like really funny musings on like idioms and like hack turns of phrase mm-hmm. and then like backing it up by basically mining her friends like daily lo- lived experiences for content. Right, because like in the in the series, like she actually writes the book called Sex in yeah, the City. Yeah. Where she's like talking about like Miranda and Charlotte and Samantha. But what I always, what I kind of wish the show would have done was like, what, how do they feel about that? Yeah. Because they never like approach that. Like almost like if it's like a given, like, yeah, this is just normal. Yeah. I I just watched an episode of In Just Like That where she hasn't spoken to Samantha in years and she reaches out to be like, hey, I talked about you pulling out my diaphragm on a podcast. I hope that's cool. And Samantha's like, yeah, go for it. No conflict there whatsoever, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then as the show <laughs> goes along, her success does kind of change what the show is, too. Where, like, what I find relatable about it is these people trying to live this big, fabulous life yeah. in the city, but they're kind of struggling to get by. Even Miranda, who has like a great job, is like struggling on a daily basis. 
And then by the end of the show, they're all basically married millionaires. Yeah. Which kind of loses the like the struggle, you know? Yeah. And maybe in my 40s when I'm a millionaire, I'll be able to relate to that more. But I, I feel like the show, when you look back at it now and you like look at all these recaps of what happened on the show, mm-hmm. people like focus on how groundbreaking it was to talk about sex in like this big frank way among women. Mm-hmm. And then... They're like, actually, it wasn't that groundbreaking. Here are the like 15 to 30 like most offensive things Carrie said. Or here's like the time that Samantha was transphobic to her neighbors outside her window. Yeah. You know, it's all the ways that the show fell short politically, which is fair. I mean, times change and it's fair yeah. to look back on things that I mean, like, makes, haven't aged well. It makes sense for a show that came out in the late 90s. Yeah. And honestly, anytime they're not talking about feminism, they step in it all the time. Oh, Totally. But I think that's kind of missing, like, the celebration of what's good about it. And, like, the reason I ran through it so quickly was, like, I relate to it as a show about people who are struggling to figure out how to be functional adults in a big city, mm-hmm. uh, hold down a job and have an active social life and an active romantic life. I just still don't get it's how hard. they do it. Because I feel like in almost every episode, they're out at all like i'm like a one social event a week or i'm gonna like get broken type person and like it'll be like a work night where miranda will get off from like her law firm and they go to this like hot like club in the city until like god knows what time in the morning and i'm like this is amazing like there's something whenever i was younger and i was like what do i want my life to be like it was like this where i'm like that's cool like going out and like being with whoever you want to be with at that moment and doing it all over again the next day, this like freedom. And, and then I just realized that everything's really expensive and it's hard to do that kind yeah. of stuff, but who cares? That's the fantasy. How cool would that be? I mean, we were struggling to stay awake till 11 PM to watch like a concert last night. <laughs> I know <laughs> I like passed out immediately when I went to bed, Same. but if I was like Carrie Bradshaw, I would have probably been like, I'm going to go out on the town. Now the night has just started. Yeah, and I don't think we're the type of people that the show's really about. Like, I, I remember, like, my dad and my stepmom used to go out every Thursday night, even after they were, like, maybe not after they were married, but, like, after they were already, like, living together and, like, not looking for people Ugh. to hook up with, you know? like Amazing. How do you go to work the next day if you're out to partying till like, 2 or 3 in the morning? I don't know. Like, that's the thing. Like, even though, like, I don't do the things that they do in this show and I can't do them just because, like, I physically can't, like, I just love watching it happen. Yeah. And, like, living through them. And I <laughs> love watching them fuck up. And I feel like a lot of the, like, things that, like, look back on what the show got wrong or, like, the mistakes that the the characters have made that, like, were unethical choices in their relationships mm-hmm. are, like, the reason the show is good and the reason the show is interesting. Because, like... When I say Carrie is relatable, I think it's because she's like not a very good friend and she messes Horrible up friend. all the time. Selfish. And she doesn't so selfish. get that she messed up until way later after an argument. And the show knows that. It's yeah. like she'll take the wrong side. She'll get offended by something her friend says, like for not lending her money or for not treating her like the main character that she is in her head. Yeah. And then, like, two or three days later, she's like, oh, my God, I'm such a selfish fuck Or judging her friend for, like, giving this, like, hot FedEx guy a blowjob in their office. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was definitely wrong. Yeah, totally wrong. And it takes her a long time to realize that sometimes. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff that, like... Watching them grow. Yeah. And boy, did they grow in. And just like that, <laughs> we get to see the final product. Yeah. <laughs>
What we don't see is all the plastic surgery that has transformed their faces uh, between <laughs> oh, the second movie and you know the show. Oof, yeah. But even though Carrie, I think, is the most relatable, I don't think she's like my favorite character. It's just like, a, oh, I get where she's coming from. Yeah. So she's the writer. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Miranda has the big job. Like she's like the big businesswoman who's like very yeah. career driven. And she like doesn't have as much time to get her like romantic and sexual satisfaction in the world. And she's all, almost kind of like put out by how much effort it takes to like schedule that amongst all her like big business lawyer. Relatable. Meetings. Yeah. Obviously that's relatable too. just like juggling all those balls. But, yeah. Um, I think she's like the best friend on the show. Like she's the most like ride or die. She's like ride or die. And I think she like brings everyone down to reality and like yes. keeps everybody in check. Yeah. Um, Samantha more willing to like let Carrie fuck up without any pushback. And Miranda is very sarcastic and like, logical and is willing to like shut things down yep. uh, when Carrie's messing up and willing to like fight with her, which I think is why they have like the strongest bond on the show. Indeed. I also find her a little ridiculous because Miranda, she is also the like moral center. Like we were just saying, which that works with the, the relationships, but she's also the moral center when it comes to like progressive politics. Oh, and it's like, yeah, very like capital L liberal, like, Hillary voter style, like Democrat politics. Yeah. So she thinks that she's more progressive than she actually is, I think. And that comes through a lot. And then just like that. Yeah. yeah. And I actually like that about the new show. Yeah. Is that they like start to recognize that in a way I don't think the original show did. Right. They're trying to make up for it in like two episodes. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I think Samantha is the most aspirational. Mm -hmm. So if all the women are trying to juggle all these different things in life and like find satisfaction i think samantha is the most comfortable in her own skin it might be that she's 10 years older than the rest of her friends so that she just like has already gone through all the shit they're struggling with yeah she's like her confidence like i could watch miranda not miranda i can watch samantha in an episode that is like very samantha and it will boost my self-esteem because she's like so infectious in her character like she's probably my favorite to watch she is very fun she has the most sex, which, I mean, it's the first word in the and title. And so shamelessly. Yeah. yeah. And I could see how, like, Kim Cattrall has gotten a lot of shit for not wanting to continue participating in the show the same way the rest of the cast has, which is kind of slowing down the money flow for everybody else. But, like, I could see how being naked on TV and doing, like, weird fetish yeah. stuff every episode well, her gets Sarah old. Her and Jessica Parker have a lot of beef off camera, too. Yeah. Which, like... I don't understand what the expectation is that they're actually friends off-site and that it's not okay to just be co-workers. Like, Kim Cattrall's totally justified in, like, not wanting to, like, yeah. spend all of her time forever with the same few people that are just co-workers, you know? Yeah, and, well, it's interesting because she made her own, like, Netflix um, TV show. I can't remember the name of it around the time that And Just Like That came out. Um, she does make a guest appearance in the second season of and just like that i don't think you got to it yet but it's like not even five minutes and i think she got like like a million bucks just to do it because everybody wanted it so bad and what's crazy about and just like that is like she's missing and the show deals with like that hole in the central friend group every episode i was so upset that she wasn't a part of it and i was so upset at how they handled it where it's like oh um 
she her and carrie didn't get along and she lives in london it was just some bizarre thing where i'm like that's so not a samantha thing that would happen to just move because they're having a fight yeah i don't know i think it i don't want to get into it i think it works because like they're at least acknowledging that it's weird (laughs) you know okay you're right about that it's like they just moved on and i what I'm gathering about halfway into the first season is they're like auditioning who could possibly fill that slot. So like they bring in Carrie's gay friend, Stanford, her gay bestie. Oh, Stanford. And they bring in, um, Mario. I can't remember his last name. Yeah. Charlotte's gay bestie. I can't Mario remember. Mario Ken. Well, he has like that really a cool bakery with all the hot guys. Yeah. That make bread. And he's very funny. He's wonderful. I was initially annoyed when the two gay besties got married. <laughs> But I think they've worked that out, too. And and then I guess speaking of uh, Charlotte, yes. she's like the fourth friend that we haven't gotten to yet. And I think Samantha gets a lot of credit for being the funniest character in the show because she's given the most outrageous stuff to do. But I think Charlotte is actually the funniest character on this television program. She makes I me agree laugh with consistently. That. I agree with her being like absolutely hilarious and stupid entertaining. Yeah. Her role to play is the most uptight, I guess. She's the one that's most committed to the traditional path of like True getting love. married and having babies. Yeah. She dresses like it's the 1950s. Yes. She's kind of like if Blair Waldorf like continued on into an adulthood ah, on TV. You I know? can see that. And I think she gets the most interesting storylines, especially her two marriages, one to Kyle McLaughlin, Trey. who plays an absolute freak on this TV show. <sighs> Him, yeah, the Trey and Bunny season is the best. That like unhealthy relationship with his like five packs a day cigarette mom, who's like stupid rich. Yeah, she's a psycho bitty for real. Psycho bitty with like like these big like low bows in her hair. Yeah, so good. Completely messed up his whole psychosexual mental health. (laughs) Yes, he uh he's like a perfect prince charming husband. He's like even wealthier than Charlotte, um, who comes from a very nice, well-bred family, yeah. uh, which I guess just means really white and rich. <laughs> and then it turns out that he has trouble, like actually having sex with his young, hot, rich wife. Like he, uh, he's able to jerk off to completion when he's alone, but he has and that whole like, like, Madonna trashiest... complex with her. Yeah. Like the, these like, and her solution. I love that episode where, she catches him jacking off to like a big, like big jugs magazine. So then she like takes pictures of herself from the wedding and like puts it on the women's faces. Psychotic behavior. <laughs> it looks like a serial killer notebook. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and also psychotic behavior is him sweatily playing tennis at 4 a.m. in his boxers <laughs> when he realizes the relationship's tanking. Yes. Uh, funniest episode of the show, hands down, is when they're having trouble conceiving a baby. And he buys her a novelty cardboard baby cutout from a joke shop to replace the actual child that she's been struggling to have IVF. <laughs> and then will not let it go. She's like, okay, you really hurt my feelings with this like gag gift. And he keeps trying to explain why it's funny. And then like d- does it to her friends. Like they all go over for dinner and he's like, wait, let me get your opinion on this ladies. <laughs> and it's like, he understands that because it was in a joke shop that it is supposed to be a joke, but you get the sense that he's like a space alien that has no idea what humor is. <laughs> he's never been in an adult relationship right. before. Crazy <laughs> turn of the show. Like that whole arc is amazing. And I also really like the husband that she actually ends up with. Who's like oh, the perfect Harry. match for her. He's Harry Goldblatt. Like, 
I think that of all the men that have been like on Sex and the City, like the boyfriends, even though I'm a big Aiden fan, like I, Harry, like Harry wins it for me. I love Harry. I also love Steve, who ends up with Miranda, even though they're not right for each other. <laughs> Miranda? He's very sweet and cute. I do love Steve, too. We have to talk about this Aiden issue, though, because that's our biggest rift yeah. in this show, is that I absolutely despise this character. <laughs> I don't know why. He's like nails on a chalkboard to me. He's like, I don't think he's good for Carrie, but like, maybe it's a personal taste thing where I'm like, he's gorgeous. He does woodworking. He has a cabin in the woods. He has a dog. He comes to the city. He redid her whole apartment for her. Like, he's so nice and chill. He's like a big golden retriever. He's like such, he's like a non person. (laughs) But like, I don't know. There's something wonderful about that. I guess it makes sense as like a romantic trope. He's almost like a character from a romance novel and not like a fully developed human being. How, how do you feel about Piz from Veronica Mars? Oh, Piz. I like Piz. Yeah, fuck. It's the same It's the same, same thing. thing. Okay. It's this like mid-show injection of this character. I was like, who's this fucking joke? And then I looked up. I texted you angrily uh, <laughs> where I hated him immediately. And then I looked up on the show. I was like, Okay, so this Aiden Joker is going to be on at least 20 more episodes. He comes back. And then he comes back for the movie. Fucking crazy. Oh, and Brandon, he's going to come back in it just like that, too. They're tormenting me. (laughs) Because Carrie does have a perfect partner on the show, played by a real-life sex pest. So I guess I can't... um, Sex pest. (laughs) I can't praise him too much. Shit. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Big is her like big love interest yes. over the arc of the show. Yeah. And I love him so much. He makes me so happy. And every time he shows up and fucks up her life, I get so warm inside. <laughs> when he shows up in his <laughs> private car, roll down, rolls down the window, I was like, hey, kid. Yeah, he's got this kind of like old-timey like Cary Grant style of like rom-com behavior on the show where he's very debonair. Yeah. Um, and that carefree attitude is annoying when you're trying to get someone to settle with you. Right. Like, like long-term monogamy dynamic, but it's very charming in the moment. I could see how someone could fall in love with him, you know? I get it. Like, I think the, the idea of big is cool, but whenever like they try to make it official, it's so obnoxious because like, it's almost like that relationship being official doesn't make sense. And they struggle with that. I think a lot of the show, I mean, big long arc spoiler here like they do get married and settle down eventually but a lot of the show and a lot of the sequels to the show are like what does that mean and how does that work with someone who's not good at that and they like try to come up with new rules around like wedding ceremonies because he's already been married two or three times before he even meets her i think that like they as in like all the creators of the shows and the movies like they drug it out for as long as they could because like if carrie marries big what is there right yeah like where's that sexy mystery where no matter what relationship she's in like because her big relationships are the russian that was a weird arc strange i didn't like him um loved his wife though (laughs) aiden and maybe burger yeah burger is um played by ron livingston he kind of looks like matt farley (laughs) yeah he has that kind (laughs) of like handsome everyman mug there's something about i was like why does he remind me of matt farley when i was rewatching it but like those are her big but the whole time they're she's in relationships with them you're like there's that the lurking of big out there that makes it so like 
sexy and exciting that you're like, man, he's going to, he could pop up at any moment. And he kind of does. Yeah. And you know that she's meant to be with him. But like, I think the way they did it, where it's like, let's not get her married until like the ass end of this movie makes sense because we're pulled along and then it's like the right time. That's every show, you know what right? I mean? Like has like a will they, won't they central relationship, especially yeah. sitcoms. Yeah. It's like after you pull the trigger on that, like what is there to do? Right. I think Burger was a fun sidetrack because Burger on the motorcycle. He was a good <laughs> taste of Carrie's own medicine, and like yeah. she got to be in a relationship with like the male version of herself and yeah. see like how awful it is to be with her, <laughs> which I think is great. Uh, the Russian was like a fun fantasy. Where, like, it didn't make any sense for her to be with this, like, rich, uh, fine artist who, like, whisks her away to Paris. And yeah. Miranda even calls her out on it. She's like, you are living a fantasy life. This is not real. What are you doing? But it's kind of like, he wasn't a great partner, but I'm no. like, that whole situation is, like, my fantasy. I'm like, some rich dude that lets me live in Paris, and he's never there, and I could do what I want with his money. That's all I want. And he will die relatively and soon. And he's going to die soon, right? <laughs> you can take it all. And then he'd be like, you know, and he's also very, like, very French. So it'd be like, you know, if you want to go sleep with your ex-wife, go and do that. And just give me your car, and I'll go buy all these pastries. And, she, you know, I'm like, God, Carrie, why aren't you loving this? I just don't think any of them had fun chaotic chemistry with her the way big does to the she point she feeds off of that yes yeah and i think she likes the messiness a little bit mm-hmm. like you're saying and it got to the point where i was cheering her on for cheating on aiden with big which is a big split on the show i think people oh, i was so pissed could not forgive that i couldn't yeah i mean i got over it because i'm like they're not meant to be together like he's meant to be with like someone that's not carrie but like he's just fun to look at yeah, you know, I got really mad recently watching uh, the trailers for my big fat Greek wedding three <laughs> because of him. I was like, I can't even go to the movies without looking at Aiden's stupid face on the big screen. <laughs> I need to find something with John Corbett to like make you fall in love with that man. <laughs> I'm not feeling it yet. Have but... you ever watched um, the United States of Tara? Yeah, he was on that. He's a fa- he's a husband and oh, okay. he's wonderful in there. I liked that show. I fell in love with him in that movie. I mean, that series because he's like a very good husband yeah. to his like multiple personality wife you know i don't remember that as much as i remember her goblin persona who like shits and pisses while naked and running around the woods oh, at night. <laughs> for some reason that sticks one. around more <laughs> uh, how did, okay so how did you feel about the arc where she cheats on aiden because i think the show was like very smart to do that and it could have gotten really comfortable with just letting these characters be like increasingly better people who don't make big mistakes like that Okay, I like when I watch TV shows like this, I get very invested where I feel like I know these people, which is probably like psychotic behavior on my part. But I was so upset where I'm like, this man is like doing everything for you and is treating you so well and is like going out of his way and like doing all this stuff that like most people wouldn't do for you. And you're going to go and do this, you piece of shit. I'm like, you're horrible. But at the same time, like I kind of, because I've rewatched this series multiple times in multiple phases of my life. And on the most recent rewatch, which has probably happened the past like a couple of months, I'm like, okay, he knows that she was going to do shit like this. Like he gets it. And he's trying to overcompensate for the reality that he knows that she does is not supposed to be with him, that she really doesn't love him. She's very into big. So why are you pissed off, dude? Like you knew this was going to happen. And all the, you know, floor buffing in the world 
can't <laughs> stop it from happening. And it's so authentic for her too, where I'm yeah. like, you're not meant to be with a dude like this, this beautiful golden retriever man. You're meant to be with this guy who's going to constantly like make you feel like shit. A little scuzzy. And it's kind of scuzzy because yeah. you want that. Like that's where how you get your rocks off. And you know what? Go for it. One of her main character traits on the show is that she smokes cigarettes indoors oh, decades after that's it. not acceptable. <laughs> Aiden hates it because he's a golden retriever and that's, right. that's against the rules and like bad for your body. But <laughs> meanwhile, big chomps on those giant cigars and like smokes alongside her. Yep. He also smokes in restaurants when people tell him not to. And he yep. thinks kind of because he's kind of like a Donald Trump archetype a little yeah. bit, uh, the fantasy of what Donald Trump was supposed to be in the 80s and 90s, right. not how we know him now. <laughs> right. They're, like, they're kind of made for each other because they're a little scuzzy. Right. I remember there's a moment early in and Just Like That where Carrie starts smoking cigarettes again. I was like, our girl is back. Here she <laughs> She's is. back on the yeah. scuzz train. <laughs> it's um, Marlboro Lights. Hell yeah. It's her uh, cigarette <laughs> of choice. Oh, Kristen Johnston has a great scuzz character arc on the show as well, where she's like the last single playgirl in New York City and then like, towards the end of the show falls out of that window oh, at, at that where she's like tearing everyone in you asshole and she lights up a cigarette right. and she's like can't even fucking smoke indoors anymore That's that is how so carrie would be if she was just like five percent less fabulous and i guess by less fabulous i mean wearing even worse clothes <laughs> she wears like the worst <laughs> clothes i've ever seen on the show i'm obsessed with it though <laughs> like there's one outfit she wore and it was like khaki pants with like stiletto pumps with like her feet are so if you ever look at close-ups of Sarah Jessica Parker's feet, it's nuts. Every it's like morning bulging. when I get up, I go to wikifeet.com and yeah. It is the most <laughs> bulging vein feet you'll ever see in your life. They're so strained. she has her bulging vein feet on her like stiletto pumps. And she's got this like floral gown that is like sort of a jacket at the same time over it and it's so insane and i'm like but i fucking love it like she wears everything so well a few outfits are cute i like the like t-shirt with the tutu combo that's like a classic classic look from the show yeah and then every now and then she'll bust out like the newspaper dress i love that awful i love her hats it's very like paris hilton era like 2000s fashion love it yeah which I, i mean is very in right now so i could see like kids going back to the show and watching it just for looks you know because mm-hmm. that kind of aughts fashion is very much in what was the name of that designer patricia something i can't remember her last name but who she, did the whole show right yeah and then she had a line too where she had like her design on like clutches and purses and stuff like that but sh- yeah shit I can't it's very remember. like betsy johnson style yeah yeah, yeah. It's so funny, though, like, listening to Carrie be like, I spent $600 on these shoes. And you look at them, and it's, like, the tiniest little, like, strap of leather with, like, a pink puffball at the end of it. (laughs) The thing about Carrie, too, is, like, she's spending hundreds of dollars on shoes. And you know that her apartment rent has got to be out of the fucking roof. Right. She's living above her. I'm like, how are you, like, living? And I know that's, like, you know, it's a TV show, but, like, always kind of blew my mind. I mean, part of it is... Hoping that if you raise your class visibly, yeah, that you will be able to marry someone like big who actually is like a big stock trader. Should business I stop guy. wearing my Keens and my old denim, and I should start like <laughs> investing in like Dolce and Gabbana. Honestly, go down to like Canal Street and have a martini at the bar and like a nice gown once a week. You know, who knows what could happen? <laughs> and eventually, he does kind of like 
pay all her problems away. And by the end of the show, she's like made. She's like a millionaire. For sure. And I guess that's like my disconnect with the movies a little bit. The show, I think, ends on a very great place. Everyone's settled, but still has like adventures ahead of them. And they've all realized by the end that like they actually don't need romance in their lives because they have solid relationships with each other. Yeah. Because it, how does it end? It's Carrie and Big are like at a good spot. Right. They're not married, but they're in a good place. Miranda and Steve. Steve are together with their child, Brady, and they're living in Brooklyn, which is like the equivalent to like Metairie and Kenner, I think is like how they like portray it. Like, oh, holy shit, you moving to Brooklyn? Yeah, and you're just not a living few years Manhattan? later, that would have been like the hippest place in the city. Right. And then Samantha is with Smith. That's the weirdest one. I don't know about that. I like... Samantha in a relationship doesn't make sense, but if she is in one, it's got to be this like hot young guy that's obsessed with her. Okay. And like, he's such a good, like in that golden retriever way, but he's like hotter than Aiden. But like, it was so good for Samantha. I I felt at peace with her being with someone like that. I liked her and Richard together for as long as that lasted. Really? Oh, I'm like, oh, she deserves someone younger and hotter. I, I, I can see that. Um, and then Charlotte is married to Harry and she's converted to Judaism and they are adopting a girl from China. And that's like kind of how it all ends. So yeah. it kind of does end in like a really satisfying way where you're like, everyone has sort of found their little niche in life, but they're still all connected as a group of girls and friends. So I don't think the show needed to go on after that. It didn't, but the people wanted it. Yeah. I mean, as long as there's money to be made, they will continue making this Correct. stuff. I'm not I was mad at it. Very satisfied with where it ended. I think the movies and in just like that, I, I have opinions on which are better, but no, I don't okay. think any of them compare to what the original show was. And I think I mean, if you have not seen it, you're you have not listened this far into this conversation, but like <laughs> I think it does offer what I look for out of television, okay. which is 30-minute episodes that are very funny and self-contained. Every episode is on a theme, and that theme is wrapped up. There might be these yes. longer storylines with like who ends up with who and like how they get settled by the end of the show. But every episode, it's it's kind of like watching Seinfeld or something. Like They attack some like very and concise topic. And it's resolved topic. at yes. the end for the most part. So you, could, you don't have to worry about what, missing something. You can just literally pop on... HBO Max did this a couple of months ago where it's like, here's like the best Six in the City episodes. Wonderful. And I was like, fuck yes. And I watched them and they're from all from disparate seasons. But like anyone could go and watch that and have a good time without understanding the full story. Sex in the City was all about 30-something women finding themselves in vibrant lives, vibrant sexual lives. And then now, and just like that, is about women who are older. How important is that for you? When people were surprised, like, oh, you're coming back when you're older. Like, ah, you know, why should we be hiding? Like, why are our lives not interesting anymore? That's insane. And we have to change it. Yes. So I feel yes. very lucky that we're able to do that, that we're a part of being able to to make this shift in, in, in our culture, because it's, it's 
it's cuckoo yes. to lock everybody over 50 up. So. It's also story-wise, like it's it's simply no less rich. Mm -hmm. You know, it's people, enormous important things happen in people's lives after 42. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, talked about the changing culture now and a lot of your characters reflect this changing culture. We love almost everything about our original series, but it was always very white. And that was something that was never, you know, never sat really well with any of us. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to go back and change that and like, Let's keep what's good and let's let's widen it and improve it. We were just saying that the episodes of Sex and the City are very concise and to the point and like on a theme. The movies that followed Sex and the City are very bloated and go on forever. Like I watched both of these in a row. They're both two and a half hours long. Your whole day is going. It felt like a shift at work. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a full day. They're probably, I mean, it's probably like watching like three or four seasons of the fucking show. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that was the criticism that Sex and the City, the movie got in 2008 was like, what is this except more? Like it was like two or three episodes in a row. Like I was thinking about that too. Like, did it have to be a movie or could it have just been like fucking season seven or something right. like an extension, but it wouldn't have been on the big screen. I think it's like the least the show has felt like itself a sex in the city the movie yeah i don't think it's the worst the show has ever been <laughs> but i think the entire point of that one is just getting to spend more time with characters that we love it might yeah. be too much time <laughs> because it does not need to be as long as it is to accomplish what it wants um i guess the episode arcs in the show are carrie and big decide to get married and then at yeah. the end of that arc uh, Big leaves her at the altar. Right. He has like a moment of panic where he cannot go into the New York Public Library to marry her. <laughs> and I think it's because like he wanted that intimacy with that moment with Carrie. And then like we watch it blow up, right? Where she's like, I have this cool vintage like pantsuit I'm going to wear to marry him. And they're like, oh, no, you need this massive dress, and this big ceremony. And they bring Anthony in. And then Vogue magazine is like, we want you to do a spread to show everyone you're getting married. And then like Vivian Westwood gives her the dress. Okay, that sequence is great because she wears like a Dior dress and like a bunch of other like designers. Oh, it's amazing. And then she's like settles on the absolute fucking worst one, which is the Vivian Westwood. I love that was my favorite. No, you're no, kidding. no, no. It's the worst one. Oh, I love it. I love that dress. Don't you dare. Um, <laughs> but like, I love that whole monologue like watching her like model stuff, but mm -hmm. um, the iconic Vivian Westwood dress. And I think it freaked big out because right. it was so public and it was like something so private became like a tabloid thing. And I think it freaked him out. And I'm kind of on his side. Yeah. Like, they had an understanding got of out what of control. they were going to do. And then all of a sudden he's on page six again. Right. Advertising the fact that he's getting married for like the third or fourth time. Right. And I think that's true to like what I love about Carrie is that she doesn't realize how badly she fucked up. Right. Until like way late in the movie. Exactly. And then that then she's like, now I get it. And then they have the wedding they were supposed to have. Right. Right. But in the in the meantime, like so the episode one arc is the getting jilted at the altar. Correct. Episode two arc is they go to Mexico on Big and Carrie's their honeymoon. Honeymoon. The girls go with her to like cheer her up and like just get away from the city for a while and clear her head, which brings in a little bit of like the racism of the show. Like the fact they're in Mexico is like a source of humor 
resulting in Charlotte shitting herself because she gets a little bit of the shower water in her mouth, uh, which is like something that the the second movie will really pick up on. <laughs> they fly with it in the yeah. second movie. Yeah, yeah. And then once they get back from Mexico, I guess the third arc of the movie is that Carrie gets a website. She hires Jennifer Hudson to like manage her socials. The most I okay, I adore Jennifer Hudson, but she was the most like her character did not make sense. No. And then like I guess they put her in the movie because she had that song, All in Love, All Dressed Up in Love. And the part of the movie that's the funniest to me is whenever Jennifer Hudson for like working for Carrie is gifted the ugliest fucking Louis Vuitton purse <laughs> and loves you'll it ever see your life. And they make it this huge moment. <laughs> and that's all the fashion of the show to me is like everybody flipping out over like the ugliest clothes. over these horrible like brands like, oh, my Louis, my shoes. Hello, lover. And then uh, <laughs> in turn, she gives Carrie a DVD copy of Meet Me in St. Louis that Carrie does not make it past the trolley song in the first act. She like gets she's, bored and turns it off. <laughs> right, she's watching it all alone on like New Year's Eve, which I'm like, I kind of want to spend my New Year's Eve this year doing that as an homage to Sex in the City. Which I kind of like that. Carrie is a bad friend to her a little bit in that moment because otherwise like the whole inclusion of Jennifer Hudson in this movie feels just like a diversity initiative in a way that's not it, it doesn't reflect well upon the show it's not it's not Jennifer Hudson's fault that she shoehorned in here as like the black no, character it felt like that and I th- if I'm not mistaken this movie was like nominated for like a BET award wild and I'm like is it because of this like Jennifer Hudson like tokenism I don't know if they were going to put her in the movie. She's fantastic. She should have been in like the movie, not just in this weird flash that like goes by like that. Like she comes in just as fast as she leaves and there's nothing to her. She like, I guess is supposed to represent a younger version of Carrie when she first got to the city. Yeah. And she has to like choose between love and a career, which is like kind of an older concern of the shows that's kind of been dropped, but like it's nothing. Yeah. They didn't play it up very well. And if I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for and just like that uh continuously as this goes along because I don't think it's as bad as the movies are. Okay. Well, I think I was just, I'm just bitter about like the fir- I like it. Like I've uh-huh. watched all of the and just like that episodes at least twice. Wild. Like okay. I will continue to watch them more. I adore it. I just get disappointed in certain. The only things. reason I haven't gotten there yet is because I wanted to have this conversation with you on the podcast and we've just been waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I, I would have watched the, it immediately after. I'm, well, I'm going to start watching it again now. Okay, so I can great. like get your thoughts and I'll, it'll be fresh in my head. Well, okay. I guess what I'm saying is like on that show, there isn't just one character that's supposed to make up for the fact that this is about four white women. There are multiple characters that they're trying to like mix <laughs> like, it up. There's like some non-binary characters. There's multiple women of oh color. Oh, God. I forgot about Che Diaz. Che. Oh, God. it's corny. It gets so much worse. Okay, I haven't You'll, gotten oh, I so wait. far into it. But it's corny, and I'm not saying they do it yeah. perfectly, but not all of the representation of the show is on one character's shoulders. Right. At least it's split up. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. And and just like that, a little bit makes fun of especially Miranda for trying to be more inclusive. And it makes fun of Charlotte for having like a non-binary child uh, and not knowing how to deal with that a yeah. little bit. And like Rocco, they cannot keep up with the changing times. 
and that's not what Jennifer Hudson's inclusion in the movie is. Her no. inclusion is Carrie's a good friend of this young black employee of hers and like sets her up for life with like good life advice. Yeah. It's just weird. With good life advice in a very ugly bag. Oh god. I think this movie is the main problem that all modern media has where like I'm trying to think of like good examples. Like maybe The Good Place was one where like the first yeah, season of that show it. you really like the characters and then the show does really mean cruel things to them. Yeah. And then as the show goes along it gets too nice to those characters and then just doesn't want to let go of them. I want to say The Office was another show that had yes. that problem as well. It, when Steve Carell left, it got weird. They just like don't want to let go at a good time. They don't want to bring this to a close because the money's still flowing mostly. But also, like, there's just not as much conflict or things that are interesting for the characters to do because you don't want to see them in pain. And I guess the gift of the movie is like, Two and a half more hours with these women you love. Yeah. And I think that's fine. And I, I enjoyed spending more time with them. But I don't think the movie's funny. I don't think it like is incisive about what it's like to be a woman in New York City. No. It's and it is weird what they do with the character. So like just to tap on like what's going on with the other girls in this movie, like Miranda is to like she doesn't have like a big sex drive anymore because she's like a parent and a working mother who's busy all the time so because of that like steve cheats on her like and i'm like oh my god steve is so infatuated with miranda where it just felt so out of character that's real though i think that's a real moment i don't know it just felt weird i'm like like steve wouldn't do that like i I think steve it's like uh almost like i don't want to say small-minded of her but like she misses like the bigger picture of like if they're gonna be married for decades and she's not participating in like their sex life yeah there's gonna be a slip up and i don't want to like say that she's wrong for being upset about that and willing to like burn down the whole relationship for it i mean that's her feelings yeah and i probably would react the same way but, like, it's a real moment, I think, of, like, human behavior that he would have a fuck up. I can see it that way. It was just, we. it just felt weird yeah. for me, for, like, a Steve, like, his character to, like, it, it would make more sense for anyone else. Right. Um, And then, like, Charlotte uh, um, is raising Lily, their adopted daughter. And in this movie, she actually gets pregnant. Right. And she's having a second baby, right? And she's very, like if anybody would murder big in this movie it'd be charlotte she curses the day he was born yeah she's pissed (laughs) so pissed i've never seen charlotte so angry i love her um and then of course samantha lives in la but it's so hard to tell because she's always in new york because like her and smith are married he's working in la she has one of her most iconic scenes ever in this movie and that is like the naked sushi situation like that is very memorable it's valentine's day he's supposed to be coming home from work and she dresses herself in just sushi yeah and he and just like, like lies down gets delayed hours and hours and hours to the point where she like ends up throwing the sushi at him when he finally comes right home. she gets wasabi and parts that wasabi should never be oh no that's her quote that sounds excruciating <laughs> <laughs> but like i i love that scene it's funny but like i really love whenever she just randomly shows up over and over and over again like i keep forgetting she's in los angeles and she'll show up and the girls will like see her and scream and she's like did somebody say penis (laughs) like she always has like a weird like entry 
saying every time she's on screen like a uh, Harold in um boys in the band when he like shows up like halfway <laughs> to the party yeah yes um but she's having issues because she wants to fuck all the time and smith is not available because he's working and she has like this really hot neighbor who like screws everyone so she like another iconic scene of samantha's is this gigantic hat that she's wearing. Oh, I love that hat. And like shoveling guacamole in her mouth while she's like watching her hot neighbor like bang this woman. Yeah. So she deals with her emotions by like eating and getting a dog that's just as horny as she is to like make up for not being able to have sex with Smith as much as she would want. The hot neighbor storyline also culminates, I think, in the movie's biggest swing where like if they're going to escalate from the television show to the big screen, like what can they get away with? And she watches him shower outside. Yep. And there's like a brief flash of his slightly engorged, but not erect penis. Yeah. They try it's to a get, little up there though. They try to get as away with as much as they can by the MPAA. Yes. Uh, which is kind of a funny moment. Like it's, I, I can see, I can like astral project in a movie theaters in 2008 and hear like people screaming when that happened, you know? <laughs> I remember my mom came home and she was like, oh, they showed a penis on screen. <laughs> like, oh, okay. People were like step pausing the uh, shower scene in Gone Girl, you know, to see whatever. Ben Affleck's penis. Yeah, which is And I'm like, this one's way there. better. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all should be watching this movie. <laughs> I've Have you ever worked in a movie theater? No. Okay. So like what I remember from working in the movie theater is that first weekend horror audiences are pretty crazy like the teenagers that show up for the first weekend of like horror movies are pretty wild yeah but equally wild is like wine moms coming to like (laughs) when i was in theaters it was um it was 50 shades of gray and magic mike xxl those were like crazy screenings i went to the theater to see magic mike both of them with the wine moms and it was like the most fun i've ever had in movie theater why mom m- moms are like a blast that's crazy for the first one because there's a dour movie about like the economy oh yeah <laughs> well i think it was like the matthew mcconaughey got them all riled up right right yeah that leathery skin that's who they were there for <laughs> i don't think this movie's great separate from the show i think this movie's like a nice it's like having a brunch with someone you haven't had a brunch with in a while yeah. it's like a nice catch up with characters that you love but if you never saw an episode of the show and you watch this movie by itself it's just content. Like, there's yeah. just nothing to it, really. It reminded me of, like, Father of the Bride remake that we watched on HBO Max last year. That's just like, or it's like, it, what is this? Or, like, I love the Downton Abbey movies, but it, do you find it's kind of like that? Like, we got all this from the show. They stopped the show. Yeah. We want more. Like, if this movie came out this year and you are in the state that you are with Sex and the City, I'm the state that I am, we would have lost our shit in the movie theater, right? I would have lost. It's hard to say. I will say the Downton Abbey movies are great trips to the theater for me. I laugh and cry the whole time. I lost my shit in the theater for those. And then they don't make my like best of the year list, even though they make me cry and laugh more than any other movies I watch. So I don't know. So like, I don't know. Like I get it. Like, but looking at it as like a standalone movie, it's bizarre. Like if you're not someone who watches the show, like it's insane. Well, I guess that's the real core of the question of these two movies is like, does it matter if the movie's good if you love the characters this much? We just want the content. Right. You just want yeah. more time. In whatever form, if it's a season, if it's a movie, if it's a miniseries, give it to me. I'll eat it all up. And I guess Sex and the City 2 from 2010 like really challenges that idea. <laughs> I I guess I have a slightly hot take on this. This okay. is sort of widely seen as like the nadir of the whole show. 
Like, this is as bad as it gets. Right. And I don't disagree with that. But I think the writing on this movie actually gets the show more than the first movie does. So, like, in this movie, it starts with Stanford and, did you say Mario? What's the other guy's oh, name? Oh, um, Anthony. Anth- okay, so Stanford and Anthony. His name in real life is, like, Mario Catone. Or the two gay besties of two of the girls <laughs> get married. In the and gayest wedding. They're an odd couple. <laughs> like, we, they absolutely hate each other early in the show, which I thought was a funny dynamic. Uh-huh. And I think by the time they get married, I didn't get it. I was like, why are they just like putting the, the only two gay characters in a wedding together? It seemed very contrived. But they bicker enough in like a fun, playful way that, that it makes, makes sense. That makes it like a, a, I found they made like a good couple. And like you said, they have the gayest wedding ever <laughs> held on planet Earth. It's very funny. It's so gay that Liza Minnelli shows up to do a rendition of Put a Ring on It from Beyonce. She does the dance and everything. And in everyone her, loses their shit. In her like sparkly... Uh, and just one cabaret get up. My own room <laughs> Not a very good version of the song. It is insane. But a great scene because it's just so bizarre. And okay, even that scene, there's like a joke like, how did they get Liza Minnelli to come to this wedding? And oh, then one of the girls jokes Samantha. like, anytime there's this, this much gay energy in a room, Liza just appears. Oh, I think Mar- it's Miranda that said that, yeah. Good right. sarcastic Miranda quip, you know, classic right. Miranda. And then big laughs. Okay, yeah, but it's not in the best taste. Well, no, it's funny. I think I think the wedding scene's funny, and I think even like the fact that Big can't stop calling the wedding a gay wedding, he keeps specifying that it's a gay wedding they're going to, is funny. So before we like move on with this movie too, I want to just say like I'm not a massive Big fan. I love Big in this movie. Great. I think he looked like I did not think that this man was attractive at all in the series until this movie. Like he looks so hot as like an older guy. And, like, as, like, he's in his Aiden phase in this movie, too. (laughs) He's, like, he wants to watch TV on the couch and, like, not go out and party. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, like, big morphing into Aiden that does it for me. Yeah, I guess the conflict of the movie is that he's turning into a papa. And, like, Carrie still (laughs) wants to go out and live out, like, the fabulous nightclub life. And he's, like... Why can't we just watch Bringing a Baby while laying in bed? I got a TV for the bedroom. And she's like, fuck me. <laughs> My life is over. <laughs> this is it. I married Aiden by accident. <laughs> Where the movie goes off the rails is the second trip outside of the city. I, actually, anytime the show leaves the city, it sucks. Like, I, I didn't like the L.A. arc on the show very much. I thought the Mexico sequence in the first movie was pretty bad. Whatever. Yeah. They go to Abu Dhabi <laughs> as a foursome. <laughs> Uh, to show how progressive Abu Dhabi is. Yeah. And it's kind of like a fish out of water comedy for at least a good hour yeah. where the women are like kind of scandalized by how women are treated in the Middle East. They just refer to the whole region as one thing. The whole thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were, they're talking about how women are covered up. They kind of discreetly eat their French fries under their veils and like. They have secret book clubs. Why is it allowed for a belly dancer to show skin, but not, you know, a woman who's just out and like living her daily life? There's like the whole cultural commentary on like the difference between being a woman in New York City and the difference between a woman in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, they like what they linked it to is like it's female empowerment that these women lack. And it's like, no, it's just a cultural difference. Um, but there's even that really cheesy scene where they do the karaoke to the I Am Woman song. Yeah. And then everyone and the, like they're like, oh, we're liberating all these like Middle Eastern women. <laughs> what? I think this movie gets the show in a way that the, the other movie doesn't. Uh-huh. Like the other movie is like, you know, spending time with your pals. 
It doesn't feel like Sex in the City. Uh-huh. This is joke writing. Like every character has jokes about their personality and about how they're fucking up. It also gets the other part of the show, which is like anytime they talk about anything besides feminism, it has not aged well. Yeah. It's like a culturally, politically <laughs> fucked up Even show. Even the talks of feminism didn't age that well in no, all parts either, right? Because it's applied to a different culture and there's like, they're mixing up their feminism 101 talking points with like looking down on other people. It, like, yeah, like it feels weird because like it's like when they go there, it's like this decadent, right? Like flight on this airline and then they arrive there it's literally like a city that's almost like gilded and gold like it is gorgeous and they're doing it in a way to be like did you know that abu dhabi was like this yeah which is kind of funny for miranda to like and then miranda's like we have to be respectful and she's yeah, like trying she to talk overboard yeah classic miranda i think that's i think that's pretty true to her i think this sh- that's true to her character the movie gets the characters and gets to their core yeah more than just like Giving them a victory lap. Carrie wants shoes, <laughs> yep. right? Um, Charlotte is still tasteful um, and still like, she's like the most matronly, I think, of the group. And it shows in like a lot of her, like the way she talks people and treats people. Yeah. Adore her. And Samantha just wants to fuck everything again. And Carrie still can't decide between Aiden and Big because Aiden shows Aiden up in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Aiden's buying textiles for his furniture in Abu Dhabi. So weird. <laughs> Uh, I was very mad that he showed up. Oh my god! Whenever that, I forgot that he's in that movie, and when I rewatched it, I'm like, "Oh, Brandon probably got so pissed <laughs> <laughs> when he was at the souk." It's like the hairs on my like arms and back like raise up, <laughs> <laughs> like a dog that smelled something foul, you know. Oh, and you must have hated it whenever she like kissed him while she was married to Big. I think that's at least an interesting conflict, you know. Yeah, and it is Carrie continuing to fuck up and not be a perfect person which i think is where the show gets boring is where they like kind of settle into being really good moms and wives it's not very interesting to watch yeah i feel like charlotte's her situation here really like hurt to watch like yeah. t- trying to like take care of these two kids and one screaming all the time the other one wants attention while the other one's screaming and there's that moment where she like locks herself in the pantry and i'm like oh my god please get this woman on a vacation that's in her to Abu Dhabi. That's real. Like it's so real. Talking about how you know motherhood is not this perfect like housekeeping fantasy right. that she. But thankfully, she had a hot lesbian else. nanny to help her. Yeah, <laughs> with gigantic knockers that she does not wear a bra. Right, which is <laughs> yeah. part of the whole plot of the movie too. Is how big her nanny's breasts are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think this movie's good. I do think it's the worst Sex in the City episode. Yeah, but. I think it is truer to the show than the first movie is. The first movie's like content. Yeah. This is actually like part of the series. Yeah. Like watching this, I'm like, oh God, this is bad. And then like whenever you're like, okay, now they're getting literally like kicked out of the country because Samantha fucks someone on a beach. Insane. And all these men are like, you women and your condoms. And Samantha's like, I use condoms. And like, yeah. I'm She'll a liberated woman. Thrust her hips at them sexually. Right. And then they're like, oh, we're going to disguise you with these like burkas. Yeah. To, uh, and then there's like, they find like these women who are like, we wear fancy clothes under these and we have a secret book club. Like it just, it progressively got worse and worse. But like at the end of it, I was, I was sitting with myself and I'm like, okay, that was a very culturally insensitive movie. Yes. I will watch it again. <laughs> I adore these four 
privileged white women. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to watch them do more stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I can recognize, like, the distastefulness and, like, th- how wrong a lot of this is. But I still found the movie entertaining. And that's part and of the show. it's a weird, like, feeling to have. Like, okay, Carrie dating a bisexual on the show. Where they basically, right. like, say bisexuality doesn't exist for 30 minutes solid. Yeah. Only, only Samantha is accepting of it. And isn't, like, that's the thing, too. Till this day with, like, people who are, like, bisexual in relationships, everyone thinks it's, like, oh, if you're dating someone who's bi, that means, like, they have to have a partner from each, like, gender and it's like no the show calls it double dipping yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh my god it's so bad but it's like yeah it's like pushing forward like if you're bisexual that means man if you're married to uh like if i get married to a guy like i'll have to have a wife too or have a girlfriend on the side because i'm bisexual and it's like that's not how it works that's you know something totally different and for someone who's paid to write about sex professionally like for carrie to be so close-minded about this stuff right to like that was so insane i forgot about that episode she's close-minded to fetishes like there's a whole episode about people who have like fetishes in the bedroom and then samantha has that whole turf war with the like i mean literal turf war with the uh transgender sex workers outside outside her her window, window which is bad and like really transphobic, especially when they're talking about it at brunch, but gets even worse when they like make up with the sex workers and like have this like rooftop party. Yeah. And then Carrie starts doing catwalk black talk back at them and they're like cheering her on. That is the cringiest <laughs> the show has ever gotten is that like yeah. mea culpa at the end of that. Yep. So like, I, I think the weird conservative streak of Sex and the City 2's politics is pretty consistent with what the show is at its worst. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look up on YouTube, I was literally doing this today, like highlights from the show or like recaps or stuff like that. A lot of it is about the times the show's politics fell short of like perfect moralism, which I don't think is representative of what it is. Like that is true to the show, but like there's a lot of really great stuff in there, in the characters and in their dynamics with each other. You just can't ignore the politics being bad as part of it. Yeah recognize it's shitty but it's a fabulous show to watch and great films to enjoy and and just like that as a sequel to the show i think is doing better than either the movies did i am so shocked like the consensus that i've heard from like public opinion on and just like that like everyone is like this is horrible this is horrible but i'm gonna watch it it's horrible it's horrible i love that you're like very much I'm only five episodes in. Maybe it's not as crazy. I don't know. I I can't remember where it took a turn for me where I was like, oh, this is weird. But instead of looking into it through the lens of like, does this make sense? If we look to like, it's just a good time show to watch, like take it at face value. It's made me laugh and cry a few times. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily good television. Especially if you've, like, never seen Sex in the City. Like, if you just watch this by itself, I don't think it's a good television show. And I think it's actually losing ground on what I was saying earlier about the episodes of Sex in the City being very self-contained. And just like that has very long you're arcs right. where you're, like, watching this, like, soap opera thing where, like, it steps their individual storylines more every episode. I feel like this entire first season would have been, like, two episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. But... It's more of like a mini series. Yeah. Versus like like an extension of the show. But I think it's back to character based joke writing. It lets the characters yeah. mess up and be imperfect people again. And the way the movies were more aspirational and like, look how fabulous they are. Isn't it great that they're still living fabulously? Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
the wealth porn of it is losing me a little bit. Where like I don't feel like I live a life anywhere near what oh, these it gets characters are living. So much worse. <laughs> like there is an episode in a latter season where like Carrie hosts a Michelin star dinner at her apartment. Wow. <laughs> it's like what the fuck. Like it's crazy, but it is. I don't know. I kind of like watching the. It reminds me of like Real Housewives a little bit, like the opulence it that was... I will never have a taste of. If the whole franchise had ended with the series that never would have gotten there yeah. you know like carrie was always living above her means a little bit in a way that she doesn't anymore because now she's like kind of made for life from this like wealthy husband that she landed right i don't hate the show i don't think it's great i'm not even really recommending it i do think it's better than the movies though yeah i th- but i think like it's like if you're if you're a sex in the city fan in any way like you'll love it you keep watching, watching it. it yeah you sick fuck yeah you keep coming back for more i bitch about it all the time <laughs> but do i watch it all the time yes <laughs> and i guess that's kind of part of it is people say they hate watch stuff when they're really just watching it yeah. for mild enjoyment yeah. while they fold laundry and scroll on their phone that's exactly what i do with this <laughs> but but yeah like that and just like that for like charlotte is like the star of that for me like watching her and like Harry and their children and everything. Yeah. So wonderful. Harry's a dream boat. He's wonderful. I love him. <laughs> love watching him sweat through his suits every yeah. time he gets nervous. Yeah. He's so like such a gross, normal guy. Yeah. Which is perfect <laughs> for a character that wanted everything perfect. She wanted a man who never sweats, you know? And then she had one. <laughs> she got the sweatiest guy. Crazy. I think I will rewatch the entire Sex in the City series once. And just like that is over for good. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll last. Probably not very long. It seems like the enthusiasm for it's pretty low. Yeah. But whenever that's canceled, I will go back and watch Sex and the City again. I don't think I'll watch Sex and the City, the movie. Sex and the City 2, definitely not. Or in just like that, like a second time. I think I'm kind of, it's like a one and done for all of those. But I'm also so on the hook that I can't look I'm away at this point. I'm going to keep watching them. <laughs> it's like a, a drug. Yeah. Like once you, I guarantee you, Brandon, when you restart the series, you're going to be like, I guess I'll watch the movie again. Yeah, maybe there's like a momentum I'm to it. I'm telling you. Yeah. You can't stop. I think it's probably one of the greatest television shows of all time. I'm saying this as someone who's watched it exactly once. But like the feeling I get watching that show, the ease I have laughing and crying and falling in love with these characters, like it just feels very comfortable reminded me of watching like Seinfeld for the first time as a kid or something like it's just very smart and sharp in a yeah. way that I don't know that any of its movie sequels or bladder series ever are. Yeah. But I do love these people, these fake made up people. I love <laughs> we'll these keep, fake for women. <laughs> we'll yeah. keep tuning into what their lives and are going through. I don't love all their men. I hate Aiden. <laughs> and I am aware that he, he re-enters the series. Oh my uh, God. You're going to get so pissed. I can't wait. I'm dreading it. (laughs) Well, the next time we talk on the microphone, it will be episode 200 of this podcast. Huge. So we have a lot more to to look back on and like get nostalgic about, about our own show in the future. And what will our sequels be? We're going to avoid any trips to Abu Dhabi. For sure. Told me everybody's flat To all my hot girls and my hot guys You know I'm fresh, you know I'm good Keep the latest fashion like we always could There were four friends in New York they met And they always sit together in the city of sex Me and my girls in a catchy cab Up fifth ad with some shopping bags Wherever I go, two friends behind me Three's company before is a party Turning heads in a cute little cafe Girls night conversation getting nasty Empire State, Emirates State Me and my homegirl, cause they my soulmates
grown and sexy while you marry the kids. Cause I'm so carry and my man's so big. <laughs> you like that? Like-